welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we give you tangible, actionable tips to lead your most vibrant life. Now, this week on the podcast, we are joined by my former boss, Linda Johnston. So I'm going to rewind for a second. If there's one place that I could describe outside of where I live in my current home as the home of my heart, I would call that the Isle of Arran. It's where I spent time with my grandmother growing up. It's where, you know, I rode mini ATVs and I played mini golf and, you know, went on these great adventures and, you know, visited the incredible local bakery with the deliciousness. It's it's where I had my first kiss. It's where I had my first real job. It's where I moved to immediately after high school as a 17-year-old, going to a completely different country. And that first real job was at a place called Ocrani. Now, I mean, I'm making that sound worse than it is because I don't have the Scottish accent with the right you know what I'm talking about. So apologies when I say Ocrani, it's supposed to sound a lot more beautiful than that. For anyone that ever asks me what to see and do in Scotland, I always encourage them to visit the Isle of Arran because it truly is a magical place. And my time working at Ocrani brought me so much life experience. And in the end, it actually brought me my husband as well. So so I call it a pretty great place. So this week on the podcast, we interview the co-founder of, of Ocrani, Linda Johnston. Now, I remember when I worked there, looking through these photo albums of how the resort started and how it's grown over the years. And so much of that has to do with this woman. And you actually, if you go through those photo albums, which are open to the public, you can see her personal growth as well. And from the the resort being this tiny, tiny little lodge that had been converted and, you know, Linda in her uniform of the 80s and how it's grown over time and how her role's grown over time. So we actually talk about how Linda started her career as a physical education teacher. So it is fascinating to me how someone then goes on to run an incredibly successful resort that supports the local economy, has moved to employee ownership, and is only the second hotel in Scotland to pay a living wage to its employees. She's a pretty fascinating person, and I learned the reason that the entire resort came to be. And uh, I'll give you a hint, it's in the title of this episode. (laughs) So we talk about all the different things that Linda plays a role in, how they keep things evolving, how one can really use their creativity in the hospitality industry, and the importance of Akrani values. So this episode is really perfect for someone. This episode is really perfect if you're an entrepreneur to see how things can develop over time. It's a great episode for someone that's interested in employee ownership, living wage, all of those kinds of things. If you're interested in how to hire the right people, Linda talks about that in particular. And if you just have an absolute love of the Isle of Erin, she talks about some of her favorite things to do on the island. So before we go any further, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ETB. So given that we are sharing an entrepreneur's journey, I, I always want to remind you guys about the ATB Entrepreneur Center. Uh, they have so many different free events and workshops where you can actually build your skills as an entrepreneur. They have an entrepreneur center that you can actually do some work in. It is very much a relaxed, lovely coffee shop environment, and they can hook you up to a mentor. Now, that is something that's incredibly valuable when you're starting out as a small business owner to have that insight and advice from someone that knows what they're doing. So I highly recommend you check out the ATB Entrepreneur Center. Now, if you are maybe in that stage of life where you want to try something different, I also want to let you know about the Back to School Again podcast. They interview people who are 
going back to school for various different reasons and talk to them about what that experience is like. And this most recent episode that is up on the Back to School Again podcast is about a woman that went back to school as a mother. (laughs) Now, I'm a mama. I know how incredibly difficult it is to do anything plus parenting. So going back to school is a really interesting concept. It's something that my mom actually did. And I'm really, really proud of her for for being a student and having my brother at the same time and, and what that experience was like. So I really resonated with this particular episode. So all the links to everything can be found in today's show notes, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash eight four. Now, before we get to the episode, my very last ask is... I know it can be really hard to write reviews for things or all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to ask you to write a review. If you are enjoying this podcast, if this is something that you've been listening to for a while, if there are episodes that resonate with you, what I want to ask you to do today is to share it. Share it with a friend, share it with someone that you think would actually enjoy it, or take a screenshot of yourself listening to this on your phone. So it'll just come up with the logo and the podcast where you're at in the episode and stuff like that and share it on your social media, share it on your Insta stories or whatever it is. I'm not saying take up that precious square in your photo and your Instagram feed. I'm not saying do that, but you know, share it in your Instagram stories and tell people what you actually like about it. The whole purpose of this podcast is to support women and empower them and give them those actionable advice to do the things that matter to them in their lives. So if that's something that you care about as well, share that with the women that could benefit from it. So I would so appreciate that. And always tag me at Girl Tries Life so that I know you've done that and I can give you a shout out. I really would appreciate uh, the sharing of the podcast. It it uh, lets me know that I'm not just, you know, sitting in here in my living room next to my baby who's in her mama room recording this intro. It makes me know that there's actually people out there that are are benefiting from it. So I would really, really appreciate the share. Now, without further ado, let's head over to the interview. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for joining us on the podcast. We're so pleased to have you. You're very welcome, Victoria. Nice to speak to you. So I, as much as we work together, there's a few sort of grounding questions that I I really don't know about you. I I know nothing of your pre-Akrani life. So I was hoping you could tell me a bit about, like, are you from the island? What what did you do before Akrani came about? Mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm not from the island. I'm actually from a place called Irvine, which is in Ayrshire, which is about seven miles from Arrosan, where they are in ferry sails from. I ended up in Arran because prior to Ochrani, um, I was a PE teacher and I was offered a job teaching on the island and it was a permanent contract and I was in a temporary contract in the mainland so I thought that it would be a good idea to come across to Arran and uh, do my probation as a PE teacher and then of course I intended after a couple of years to back to the mainland. So that was, I think I was about 23 when I came over to teach. And then five or six years I taught uh, at the high school and primary schools uh, in Arran. And then I I was 28 when we made the decision to um, buy Ohrani and turn it into a high-class hospitality business on the island. So that's quite a switch of careers, what what brought about the desire to start Ocrani? It's a, it's a bit of a strange story. Um, actually, what we wanted to do was to build a swimming pool 
you're probably aware that it was Ian Johnston, um, my husband at the time, and I who started Ochrani. Ian was um, the tourism officer for the island for a, a short period of time. And during that time, he made the statement that Aaron needed a swimming pool to uh, survive in the modern tourism environment, modern in 1988. (laughs) (laughs) And I, as a PE teacher, was keen for there to be a pool on the island for children and for the community. Because apart from there's a small pool at the Kinloch Hotel, there was no local authority pool or anything on the island at all. So you know, that was the kind of two reasons. You know, we both wanted a pool for different reasons. And we saw the hotel as a property that we could develop to pay for that pool. Um, and it also had the, the area that we needed to, to build the pool. So that was really why we did it. It's, you know, I think it was a bit, we were probably very naive when we did that and didn't realise really at that time um, how much work and how much development we would need to do to actually pay for the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Does it ever blow your mind when you look back at, you know, you've got all the lodges, the resorts, all the leisure side of things that it all started because of a pool? Oh, absolutely, yes. (laughs) I I really can't believe it. Absolutely no idea that it would grow to this size. Um, so it was a complete sh- a complete shock, really. When I look back 30 years later, no, I can't believe it at all. Yeah. <laughs> we had, you know, another kind of major person that was involved at that time as well, um, Ronnie Mann. I don't know if you yeah. met Ronnie, yeah. Um, Ronnie was running the Whiting Bay Hotel at the time when we were thinking of taking on a cranny. And he was actually just in the throes of selling that and uh, Nags Inn, which he owned at Whiting Bay. And he also had a background as an accountant, funnily enough. <laughs> and uh, so we consulted Ronnie on his thoughts of whether we should do this or not. And he kind of provided the kind of the accountancy and the hotelier background we needed yeah. to kind of convince us to take the leap. So, you know, it, it was really... You know, between the three of us, we had all different skills and yeah. knowledge. And Ian also had quite a, an entrepreneurial attitude. So, you know, there was a lot going on within the, the team of three, if you know what I mean, that yeah. let us kind of make the leap and uh, and actually, you know, buy the hotel and try to do this mad thing that we've done. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit mad. Yeah. <laughs> So in in those early days, what was what was your role? What were your primary responsibilities? Originally, I was supposed to be responsible for the leisure side of the business, but it, it very quickly it became clear that I needed to take a more overall operational role in you know the day to day running of the whole business, and also you know inputting to the you know the development of it as well. So it very much went that way for me, and. I I remained operational, although that decreased as the the resort um, got bigger and needed to to have more input strategy and um, all the refurbishments and building and everything that went on. So yeah, yeah, it became less and less operational as the years went on and the staff grew and the business grew. Yeah, but in the early days, I did everything from cooking breakfast, serving breakfast, um, checking people in cleaning the rooms, 
I honestly don't think there's any job within the business that I haven't done at one point or another. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all very exciting and learning and growing um, in the, the early days, yeah. What was the hardest stage that you've ever gone through with the business? And for you, for personally, for learning and development? Probably one of the hardest times was in the early days when we all totally overspent our budget. <laughs> um, on refurbing the original hotel and and the bank was not at all happy and we ended up um, nearly without a bank and had to get a new bank <laughs> very quickly to keep us afloat so that was you know a very worrying time in the early days other challenging times have been you know difficulties with building companies um, and with the various projects um, that we've done over the years yeah Every development seems to bring some kind of challenge that always causes worry as it goes through, you know, whether it's projects running behind schedule, costs running over, boats not running and you can't get stuff over. You know, there's always stuff like that goes on in an island as well. Yeah. And of course, there's always the operational challenges, you know, with the the island infrastructure the boat doesn't sail or the electricity fails and of course you have to bring generators from off the island and then they have to go on the boat and the boat's not running and yeah there's all sorts of things like that. <laughs> I, I lived through many of those experiences over my time at Akrani. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I won't, I, won't, I won't talk about the, the multitude of Hugmany disasters that uh, have happened over oh, the years. Really? <laughs> well, see, the thing that stands out, mm, the thing that will always forever stand out for me is the staff accommodation side of things, an individual uh-huh. getting stuck in the dryer. Oh, how did I know you were going to bring that one up? <laughs> I, think, I think actually that incident's going to be in a book that's being published quite soon about uh, the island and the author uh, interviewed me about things that had happened at Okrani and wanted some funny stories so I did tell the tumble, tumble dryer story oh, um, for that book yeah. <laughs> Is it a fiction or non-fiction? It's non-fiction. Oh okay yeah. Yep yeah, it's all fact yep. There you go. <laughs> so, so that'll be interesting. I'll sure. send you a copy. Oh that'd be great. <laughs> so one of the things that blew me away I mean I, I feel like I've been around Okrani since, in one way or another, since 2004. And yeah. I mean, obviously it's been going since the 80s, but is that mm-hmm. you're constantly innovating and evolving. Like you guys never rest on your laurels when you, yeah. maybe you probably could. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you make decisions of what you, what you add on or what you build? Is it based on demand or is it? Or is it sort of what you're looking to do for yourselves? It's it's a combination of quite a few factors. We obviously need to make the business sustainable financially. So we need to make the right decisions in order that we can deliver that financial sustainability. But we also need to make sure that whatever we do doesn't affect the guest um, or the guest perception or the guest enjoyment or interfere with the magic that is Okrani, because if we lose that, then we lose the customer, and then you know we're not financially sustainable anymore. So, you know, it's it's all about looking at what the business needs financially, but but also needing needing to look at what the guest needs in order to to keep us where we are. 
we are quite obsessive about guest feedback. It is at the, the absolute heart of the business model. We absolutely di- dissect everything that is being said about us and we, we genuinely do try to, to make positive changes to address any issues that are out there. But we also like to be ahead of the trend. Yeah. So we we like to to make changes before the customer starts to become dissatisfied with us. We also enjoy creating and innovating and trying new things, but always careful, um, you know, to make sure that that fits with what the customer expects of us. The other flip side of all that, the innovation and development is that we also have a very dynamic management team. And if we didn't have these challenges going on, I think they might get quite bored, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, there's a whole combination of reasons uh, why we do things. But, you know, I think really, to put it in a nutshell, it's about financial sustainability, absolutely delivering to the customer what they're wanting for, and keeping our team challenged. You know, it's it's all a combination of these three things, I think. Yeah. You, do you have a favorite sort of experiment that's worked out? Um, oh, oh, there's there's tons. You know, creating new types of accommodation. Um, I love the new retreats we've just done. Yeah. I love the the new wing we added on to the spa. I think you've seen that, yeah. Victoria, haven't you? Yep. I love the refurbishments we do. You know, just totally changing the whole genre and even the market that that accommodation might appeal to. On a restaurant front, 1869 has gone from a fine dining restaurant to quite a modern, informal, but high-quality Scottish tapas restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's nice just to do something that that you you feel will be exciting, that you feel the guest is looking for, and then... When when it works, and it, and it invariably it has until now, and you get brilliant guest feedback. That's when it feels really good, you know, yeah. because it's all very well for me to like something, yeah. but if that doesn't appeal to the guest, then we've failed at what we've done. So, yeah. I was quite nervous about the um, couples retreats we've just done. Yeah, it's quite a, a new venture for Ochrani much more modern styling and a completely different environment and a couples only environment so I did feel quite nervous about that <laughs> but thankfully it's been very well received by the customer again so yeah oh, good I have okay. to ask the the very important pooch rooms is that because you love your dog well <laughs> yes <laughs> but it's amazing how many customers bring dogs yeah we reckon about 5% of our occupancy comes from people with dogs. Oh, wow. And I think last year we had 1,673 dogs that stayed with us. Oh, and they all brought their owners with them, of course. Yep. <laughs> and we also find that uh, people with dogs stay for longer as well. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. And the, the dogs really cause very little issue at all so it's it's a win-win for everyone and uh, I think that people who come from Arran want to bring their dog with them yeah it's a sort of destination to bring your dog so to me it seems mad not to allow dogs to come yeah Yeah. 
<laughs> I have to loop, loop back to something you mentioned. You talked about the magic of Akrani, and I know there's mm-hmm. a, there's going to be a, an intangible element to it, but uh-huh. yep. it, how would you describe that? What is that? What does it kind of come down to? Ooh. I think I, I think Okrani as a business is quite unique in the way it offers so much for so many different people in a in one estate. You know, you a lot of businesses that they cater for couples or they cater for families or they cater for the spa market. We are able to fulfil the demands of all markets within one estate. And there's no kind of compromise between those markets, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think combined with that, we have, we're obviously independent. We absolutely all care passionately about what we do. We really do care about the guest. And it's like, it's almost like a family. And the guests who come to Okhrani feel at home. And it's almost like, People get addicted to it. Yeah. Once you've been, it tends to grab you between Ochrani and Aaron, um, and people tend to come back. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question at all. Yeah, it's I don't because I don't know that I can put it into words, but uh-huh. uh, it's. Do you know how many of your guests, on average, are repeat visitors? We reckon probably about sixty percent. Oh wow. Yeah which does help to keep the marketing costs down as well. Yeah. Our aim is to make sure that everyone leaves leaves us happy. Yeah. We don't want a guest to leave feeling dissatisfied. So obviously in, in any business, especially hospitality business, there are going to be issues. It doesn't matter how well a place is run. So one of our main objectives is to find out if, if, everything, if, if everything is okay, and if it's not, then how can we put that right? And yeah. we would hope to let you know to allow people to leave happy and going out and telling people how happy they are, and therefore friends come as well. Yeah. And we we get word of mouth business from that. Yeah. It's funny being from North America. Whenever anyone goes to Scotland, they say, "Oh, Edinburgh, Glasgow." you know, Isle of Skye or whatnot, and I'm always yeah. telling people they have to go to Aaron. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they, you know, nobody's heard of it. <laughs> yep. It's weird. Yeah. And it's uh-huh. it's just this best-kept secret. It's for the international market, I think it's the best-kept yeah. secret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And for, for us at Ochrani as well, our international market's only about 4%. Yeah. Which is, you know, really quite low uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So, but you know, we're very we're very successful in the domestic mar- market in Britain. Yeah. Obviously, we're very happy to welcome international guests as well. As many as would like to come, we will make very welcome. Well, those who are <laughs> listening, you have to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having been a staff member there, I I do know how important it is to have the right staff at the core of what you do. Mm-hmm. What's yep. your sort of HR strategy for attracting the right people? It's kind of multi multi pronged apo- approach. Obviously, you're, you're aware that we've recently moved to real living wage. Yes, yeah. We're only the second to tell in Scotland to do that. So it's our policy to pay people as much as as we can, in order to hopefully attract the best people that are out there. Also. 
we've always tried to to be good at training and development, but I think we've moved that to a different level in the the last few years, and we're we're really building some absolutely awesome training and development programs for people. So. I think we are starting to get a reputation um, in the industry for being a good place to work and a place where people can grow and develop. Um, and because we're on the island, quite often, you know, people can't work with us for the rest of their lives, but they get a very good grounding in which they can then move on to good jobs with other hospitality providers on the mainland. Also, you know, we've we've been going in for some industry awards as well. And we recently won our Training and Employee Retention Award, a national award in Scotland. And we were also 17th in the UK uh, Caterer Best Places to Work Awards this year. Oh, wow. Which, again, raises our reputation as an employer. So, you know, that's one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, get the word out there that we are a good employer. We're also employee-owned. We have great staff accommodation. We're investing a lot of money in making sure that our staff have excellent facilities to, to live in. You know, there's there's all sorts of ways which, you know, we are absolutely trying to to get the right people. Is there a way that you can tell when you're interviewing someone if they'll be a good fit or not? Like, is it values or just a gut sense or...? Well, we have quite a, an involved recruitment process these days as well. We've made our own kind of bespoke template for recruitment, which you know it starts with where we develop, where we uh, recruit from. We've got a, our own program of recruitment and induction procedures, which people who are responsible for hiring. Um, are trained and we we run our own uh, awesome Ohrani hiring workshops oh, great. so that all our um, heads of departments and people who are interviewing for staff understand you know how to find the right people what to ask them how to you know get to the the crux of you know what people are looking for in their employment because it's not just about what we want it's about what the staff member wants and needs as well so we need to make sure that we can deliver that as an employer um, or it won't be a successful interaction. Um, we've also developed uh, Ohrani values which underpin all of our behaviours so we need to make sure you know that people support our Ohrani values which are integrity, passion, community and uniqueness. We obviously do things like job specifications, personal attributes. We do work trials. We do second interviews. We even do psychometric testing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of different um, ways, you know, depending on which position we're recruiting for, which of those things we, yeah. we put into play. But but most of all, we're looking for people who can make a good fit with Ohrani and make a good fit with Aaron. Yeah. You know, there's no point in recruiting someone that loves to go out shopping at the weekend. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to work here. So we need yeah. to find, you know, people who genuinely understand what Island Life's all about and understand what we're all about as well, you know, yeah. the, and the, the values that we have, yeah. Quite an evolution from when I started in 2004, and I think I just, I mean, 
internet not clearly as big a thing as it was now. I, yeah. I think I just sent an email and said, I really want to work here. What can yeah. I, what can I take? What yeah. will you yeah. take me? Yeah. Yeah. And we probably went, yeah, head over. <laughs> I was 17 as well. I was like, who are these crazy really? people hiring mm-hmm. me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was best decision I ever yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, we got it right with you anyway, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> so there must have been something said for our recruitment oh, there you go. in these days. <laughs> well, so it's it's funny. We were talking about this before we before we started recording, but you have a lot of folks that meet on the island working with you and then go off and yeah. get married and mm-hmm. have kids. Mm-hmm. What, what does yep. that feel like as an employer? I think it's nice to feel that you've made a difference to someone's life, although we are not directly responsible for people getting together. Uh, (laughs) But hopefully, you know, if we do gather together people who are of a like mind, there's more likelihood that people will meet someone when they're here that is of a like mind. And it's quite amazing to think that because two people came to work at Ochrani that they, they spend the rest of their lives together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's quite nice to have had you know, just a little kind of effect on that. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many uh, Scottish uh, girls and boys we've exported in our <laughs> 30 years either. Yeah. <laughs> or how many children they've produced. That would be an interesting one to look at, yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's definitely in double digits. <laughs> for I sure. would imagine, yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I would have to say a big thank you because I wouldn't have my husband without my my job there. And it's it's working out pretty well so far. Great. (laughs) Delighted to hear that, Victoria. So you talked about employee ownership. How does that actually work? I'm not sure I completely understand it. Basically, employee ownership is we're basically selling the business to the staff, but we're doing that at a fraction of the market value. There are some tax breaks with that come along with employee ownership in Scotland. So there isn't any capital gains tax on the sale, which means obviously you can drop the price. But also a lot of people go into employee ownership because they want to preserve um, what the business is at the moment. So people selling are often um, inclined to you know, drop the price below the market value to make sure that it will work and that the business can be financially sustainable going forward um, at the sale price. The sale is paid for from the company profits. There's no risk to the staff whatsoever, so no one has to actually put any money in. That would be more of a management buyout, I think. So it needs to be affordable for the business. That's the first thing about um, employee ownership. And in our case, although this isn't always done this way, the payments are staged over a period of 25 years. So it means that the business can continue to invest and there's no compromise to the product. It also makes sure that there is some profit left at the end of the year from which employees can then get an annual dividend. At the end of the day, everybody has got everybody within the, the business has got a vested interest in getting things right mm-hmm. and there's no them and us anymore. Although Ochrani has never been a, a company where the owners have taken any money whatsoever out of the business, there's been never been a dividend to any directors. Everything has always been reinvested. 
if the employees don't get anything and we just invest it all back in the business, then there isn't really an incentive for people to really get it right and improve the profits. Yeah. Um, so although none of the employees are going to become multimillionaires, <laughs> you know, there is the opportunity there to influence the profits that the business makes going forward and take home, you know, a small um, dividend at the end of the year. The other good thing about the employee ownership in our case is that the company's structure has stayed exactly the same. So there's no change in the management team. And it means that things really just kind of continue to do what they've always done, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. We don't have another, we don't have a, a buyer coming in and changing the business model and making people redundant and closing the swimming pool to the public mm-hmm. and the community uh, guarantees all of those facilities for the, the community um, for forever, really. And it gives us a way to move the business on to the next generation. I don't have a family, so what was going to happen to Okhrani when I'm no longer here? Mm-hmm. So it gives us security for the future in terms of the business. Yeah and the ethos of the business and the protection of the jobs. We also believe that, you know, Ochrani is important to the Arn economy and in the wrong hands, the business wouldn't be there to support the community and therefore could harm the economy. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons in there. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to show how important the community is to you because so many other mm-hmm. people would just think, well, this may or may not be the most fine, you know, best decision financially for the owner but ultimately it's you know better for a larger group of people yeah that's right yeah and it also means the business can't actually be sold in the future yeah so there are there are all sorts of um legal legal stuff in there which means that if the employees decided to sell the business for whatever reason any profit would go to charity Therefore, there is no reason that anyone would want to sell in the future. Yeah. And all of the, the company values and ethos are legally binding. Oh, okay. Um, which means the, the company always needs to operate the way, the way that we have written down and needs to operate. So, yeah. yeah, it's a good system. It keeps the business local. It keeps the ownership in Scotland. You know, there can be no multinationals coming in and uh, making it part of a chain or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I think it is a good thing for, you know, the local economy, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah. You talked about living wage, which is sadly not very common in the UK or in Canada. Mm-hmm. Why was this really, really important to you? I think it's, I think really uh, we're not a company um, whose first focus is on a financial return. Yeah. You know, we... We started Ukraine because we wanted to build a pool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're happy as long as the, the business is financially sustainable and that the people that work within the business get salaries, get the salaries they deserve and that we're able to attract the, re- the right people and provide employment which allows them to live in the island, uh, to have a good life and yeah. really... That's what is important to us. Our staff are highly valued. If it wasn't for our fantastic staff, we would not have the business we have. Yeah. So we 
just felt it was morally right to pay a fair wage for the great job that people do. Yeah. It's about, as I say, it's about financial sustainability for Ochrani and the legacy that Ochrani has for its staff and for the community and the visitors. Yeah. However, you know, I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. Mm-hmm. I honestly, you know, I've spoken to so many employers who would like to pay their living wage, but they cannot afford to pay the real living wage. Mm-hmm. In some ways, we, we're in a fortunate position because, well, it, it would have been the same whether we had gone employee-owned or not, because we are not focusing on profit. Ochrani is at the stage in its life where we're at that sustainable place as far as finances are concerned, and we don't need to make a huge profit. We don't have investors who are demanding 10, 15, 20% return. Therefore, we could afford to pay the money that we make back to the staff in wages. So in other words, we've reduced our profit in order to afford to to pay a real living wage. But most businesses wouldn't be in a position to do that because of the loans they have to pay back, the return they need to give to investors, and I don't know what all your taxes are like in Canada, Victoria, yeah. but in Scotland, we find the tax burden very, very high. Yeah. You know, business rates, VAT, corporation tax, businesses pay a lot in these things. And hospitality is not a terribly profitable business. So I think for many businesses, they can't, they just cannot do it because... Yeah their business will not survive if they pay the real living wage. If we could get a reduction in rates or taxes in some way, I honestly think there would be a lot of employers who would uh, pay the real living wage in future. But it's just getting it's getting that balance right so that companies can be financially sustainable, make reasonable profits and pay their staff well as well. It's, it's, it's always a balancing act, you yeah. know. I think, as I say, we are in quite a unique position, and I, you know, I certainly wouldn't criticise another hospitality business for not uh, paying it because, you know, I understand how difficult it is, yeah. and that we can only afford it because of our unique position, really, both in terms of the financial place that our company is in and our employee ownership status as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Your role has changed so much over the years. I'm fr- first, I'm just curious, what does an average day look like for you? <laughs> well, it's, it can be very, very different. I could be trolling my way through my emails. I could be heading to London to pick some new pool tiles. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could be drawing the design of a new bedroom. I could be going to meetings about menus. I could be going to a visit arm directors meeting or I could be going to a, a conference in the mainland. Very, very varied indeed. Very interesting. So, yeah, I was going to say, does that keep it fresh for you having so many different parts of the business you're you're involved in? Yes. Uh-huh. I, 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 I really like things that are creative and, and changing things and innovations you know, doing new things and seeing how they go. You know, I really love to do that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not very good at things that are, you know, reading um, legal documents and that kind of 
stuff. But luckily, I have other members of the team who are very good at that sort yeah. of thing. So I <laughs> yeah. don't have to do too many much of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's very very. I think hospitality is an extremely interesting place to be. You know, there's always a challenge. There's always something happening. Um, so yeah, it certainly uh, keeps you on your toes. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> what does professional development look like for you at this stage in your career? professional development um like what are you looking to learn to to add to the business or to add to your your own knowledge it's really everything around me i think it's what i read it's people i meet it's the people i work with who are you know extremely professional and who have knowledge far in advance of mine in their own fields so it's really, it's really through that kind of interaction that I develop. You know, I, I listen to other people. Uh, I don't think I'm the kind of leader who tells other people what to do. I ask them. I ask people what they would do, and because I know that they know the answer to that far better than I do, yeah. and then I can learn from very knowledgeable people. And I think I've done that throughout my career in hospitality. When I went into hospitality, I had absolutely no idea about anything to do with hospitality. And really, I've learned everything through, you know, the people that I have worked with and people I've met during my career. And also, you know, I love to visit other hotels, other restaurants, other swimming pools and look at how other people do things. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think you, you don't actually steal ideas because... An idea doesn't work in one hospitality business the way it works in another, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. You always have to throw everything up in the air and catch it all and then put it together in a different way to make it work Yeah. in your own establishment. So, yeah, yeah. a whole mix of uh, stuff like that, yeah. What is a perfect day on Erin for you? If people were coming to the island for the first time, what would you tell them they had to do, had to see where to eat? Well, obviously they have to eat at Okrani, but... <laughs> Well, I think I would have to ask them what sort of things they like doing because there are so many things to do in Aaron. Um, So, if someone's like you, if they're physically active and they enjoy the outdoors? Uh huh. Well, they could go for a cycle. (laughs) There's some, as you know, there's some um, amazing cycles on the island. Um, There's. I mean, walking is just amazing. Yeah. Both, you know, low level, high level, round Arran. There's a a round Arran way, which is about 50, 60 miles, which is fantastic. It's absolutely endless. Do you have a favourite walk, though? I'm probably just around the Glen here. Yeah. Glen Cloy or Glen 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 Cloy. I quite like Glen Cloy. And we like to take the dog up to um, Broadick Country Park as well. And she likes to have a wee sniff around up there. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But obviously there's loads of other things to do, you know, from visiting Broadick Castle, distillery, the brewery, chocolate shop, cheese shops. I saw that Uh, there is gin coming out and that makes my life really exciting. (laughs) I'm not, oh, yes, a, I'm not a whiskey inside. drinker, but gin is, uh, <laughs> I'm very excited next time I come over. 
Yes, uh, it's very nice. I'm more of a whiskey drinker than a gin drinker, but uh, I'm told by the gin aficionados that it's extremely pleasant and certainly selling very well. Um, So that, you know, that's a great, another great thing for the island. Of course, it's renowned for its its food and drink. So... uh, the more the merrier. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to move into the five questions that I ask all of my guests. The first is, this could be professional or personal, but what are the, the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good way? I like to make change for the better, and I like to create things. Yeah. Um, so at work, that means I love to, to look at new restaurant and accommodation concepts, even things like adding the e-spa, the play barn, been involved in the refurbishments and then of course there's the operational innovations and systems that we implement that improve things for the business as well i just i love to be involved in all of that stuff yeah i'm told that you know if anyone wants anything designed i absolutely light up and immediately volunteer so i love (laughs) to you know like be involved in you know the design of anything that we're doing and i think it's just a way of life, all this innovation and change. Yeah. Oh, Franny, it is a daily occurrence, and but it's something I think the whole team enjoy. Also, another thing I very much enjoy is seeing happy guests. Yeah. And seeing happy staff. That's absolutely the crux of everything, and along with the the creative stuff, I think really that's the most important thing in in my world. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure. Uh... If you're if you're a reader or not, but what's do you have a inspiring book that you've read in the past few years or one that just got you a little on fire? Well, it's a hard one actually. I'm not a great reader to be honest. I'm more of a I like a psychological thriller just to get me off to sleep at night yeah. type of a reader. How does that um, get you off to sleep? A psychological. Well, I don't know, but it does. <laughs> oh, work. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like uh, but, it would wake you, know, you up. Yeah. Well, you would think so, but it, I seem to fall asleep. <laughs> it takes me a while to read a book, as you can imagine. But thinking back to, to books that influenced me, it kind of goes more back to my college days. Yeah. When I, I actually studied philosophy as part of my physical education degree. Oh, wow. And I found that was something that was a great influencer for me. Um, and I've, I still use the skills I learned from college philosophy today. I just I feel that it teaches you to to think and look at things from many different perspectives, yeah. and and to reason your way through things in a in a way that you know decisions must be made morally and must be intellectually justifiable. You know, so that kind of underpins how I approach most things in life. I think. Well, I was going to say that who knows those courses could be very much the uh, the reason you have employee ownership and living wage. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you wouldn't have thought um, a college philosophy course would have that effect, but you know it's definitely something that I've I've taken from my my teaching background. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Again, um, I'm not really. I'm not very quote-orientated. Yeah. You know, I I see and hear so many every day, and I find that each one is relevant at different times. So when I see a quote, I tend to think about it, and I consider how it's relevant 
to my life now or how I can use it to change my own thinking or that of others around me. So I think that all of these quotes become part of how I think and make decisions, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Sometimes, I can't think of any now, but sometimes they just tumble out of my mouth when I yeah. least expect it. <laughs> yeah. But I can't think of any specific ones just at the moment. Yeah. What's the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given? I think probably that we're only here on this planet for a short time and that we really need to make the most of it. And remember that we're only guardians of the world around us. And I really do believe that in, in each decision and action we take, we need to be aware that what we're doing now can affect the world around us. And not just for next week, a decision could be around for tens, hundreds or even thousands of years. So I, I just find that a very, very sobering thought. Yeah. I, I just have to share this just because it's really relevant is um, work that I've done in the past with the uh, First Nations communities in Canada, uh, the mm -hmm. Indigenous communities, they often talk about having to think seven generations ahead. Mm -hmm. So that's what they think about in terms of environmental decisions, ha everything mm -hmm. that affects their community, not just them and their kids, but seven generations. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it's very, very true. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think we, we do te we tend to think in terms of our own lifetime, and I don't think sometimes we understand our own mortality. Mm -hmm. But, you know, absolutely, um, we need to be thinking ahead from all sorts of perspectives or the future could be not a very good place to be. Yeah. Final question, Linda, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? I think making a difference, trying to make things better for people around me, and that's in my personal work and my, life, my work life, in the community and also in the industry I'm involved in. First and foremost, though, I think I always want to act with integrity and honesty. I always want to take the time to listen to others and to understand the value that each person adds to this world. On a, a less kind of general level, I like to make time to enjoy the island, yeah. also the outdoors. I love to spend time with my partner, uh, my dog, my family, my friends, and I love holidays in the camper van up the west coast of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And <laughs> and a wee beer or two. <laughs> there you go. After a good after a good cycle. Well deserved. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And some lovely food along the way is good too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Linda, for joining us on the podcast. You're very welcome, Victoria. It was lovely to talk to you again.